Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Allahumma la'ilmalana illa ma'allamtana innaka antal alimul hakim. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima allamtana wa zidna ilman wa amalan ya karim. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Allahumma inni a'udhubika min al-mashin. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A great welcome to our brothers and sisters in the Melbourne Medina and our brothers and sisters all the way from the comfort of their homes. I welcome you to episode 14 of this series, A Blast from the Past, Seerah in the 21st Century. Brothers and sisters, yesterday we discussed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam becoming a messenger after he became a prophet and the many lessons we could derive from that alhamdulillah as you can see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has showered upon my voice some cure and inshallah i will be a bit more vibrant than yesterday perhaps the, the light moment we had at the beginning is 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 a sign of that today inshallah we want to complete what we uh, we began yesterday and then move further into um, the lessons pertaining to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam being commanded to take this da'wah openly to his people specifically and the entire world generally. Just before the end of yesterday's session, we discussed the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, right? And that's a pertinent lesson that we take from this incident in the seerah. But perhaps I need to qualify what we began yesterday. And that is that the fixed mindset has relevance in our life. It's also important. There's moments when we need to have the fixed mindset. There's moments when we need to be result orientated, right? But note that I say there's moments when we need to be result orientated. From the outset, we should build our life upon the concept of the growth mindset, where we are effort-focused, effort-based. This helps us be more just with the people around us and those within our sphere of influence and those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us authority over. So I'm not saying you should have one without the other. Both make up the human being. There's moments that require the fixed mindset and you and I focusing on result focusing on result and the result not happening is clear indication that the effort was not good enough. There's moments when we have to focus on the fixed mindset. However, from the outset, in most cases, we should have the growth mindset policy, right? The growth mindset policy, making sure we look at effort that even if, even if our child gets 100%, but they fluked it, the effort was poor, they never studied well enough, they didn't sleep on time. Right? They didn't adhere to the timetable well enough. But they fluked it. They got an A+. The growth mindset maintains that we congratulate them on the A+, but we don't leave them to be. We have to tell them your effort was poor, and we have to fix the flaws in the execution. If you only work on the fixed mindset, and they, they, they produce the result, somehow the result came about. 
you will turn a blind eye to the flaws in the process. And that's not good. That's not good. Because there's only so many times you can fluke something. <laughs> right? There's only so many times you can fluke it. Process has to be good. Even in your organization, even in, your, in the workplace, even if you're a team leader, even if you're a line manager, right? Ensure the effort is good and acceptable and excellent and the result as well is excellent. If you can join between the two, alhamdulillah. But sometimes, sometimes the qadr of Allah dictates that the result is of a specific standard. But the effort was excellent, alhamdulillah. As I said yesterday, your child could have studied throughout, but on the day of the exam, something happened. They forgot. They had a sleepless night. They were not too well. They panicked. Exam stress, so on and so forth, caused them to not read the question properly. It's happened. It's happened. Many a student goes into the exam, subhanallah, they come out, they come out, alhamdulillah, I've aced the exam. And then when the students discuss between each other, what did you answer here? And what did you answer there? What happens? You say, subhanallah, why were you writing that answer in the first place? That question wasn't there. He says, of course it was there. Open up the exam paper, look. And then you in regret, la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. It's not that I didn't know the answer, I misunderstood the question. It happens. It doesn't mean there's no ilm. This person doesn't have ilm. So he got a B plus and we treat him as if he's B grade. And you know what B plus really means? B positive. <laughs> it's how we look at things, isn't it? It's how we look at things. B plus is not always bad. It's, it means B positive. Right? Have a good outlook at life. Khair. Khair. You get the point I'm trying to say. So I wanted to qualify my statement because I think uh, many of you wrote in yesterday and you felt that this last point that we shared related to you. A lot of people spoke to me, a lot of people wrote in it, said, SubhanAllah, as parents, as organizational leaders, as line managers, this point struck enough. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is deserving of all praise because it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who inspires what is taught. Allahumma lakal hamd kama yanbaghi li jalali wajhik wa azim sultanik lakal hamd hatta tarda wa lakal hamd idha radit wa lakal hamd ba'da rida Just before that lesson uh, my dear brothers and sisters we discussed um, one lesson that we gain moving on from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam becoming a messenger and that is how Allah commanded him to do da'wah in secret right and we said that that da'wah was done to giants like Khadija radiallahu anha, like Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr who then exacerbated the da'wah and brought into Islam, was a means, was a means of the guidance of five people who were given glad tidings of Jannah whilst they were alive. And what lesson did we learn from that? Firstly, firstly, if we, if we stretch the scenario a little bit, firstly, in our da'wah, we should target the people of influence. Right? Because when they tip, people will follow. Secondly, target people who are the best. Abu Bakr, the best. Khadija radiallahu anha, the best. They will not just take the da'wah, but they will take it and run with it. They will not just take your idea. You have a team meeting, everyone's brainstorming, ideas are put on the table. But you have people in your team, they will not just listen to the idea, but they will grow the idea. You won't have to push them, they themselves will move forward. Right? Abu Bakr radiallahu and himself, 
Yes, he took guidance from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but five people, and then freeing all the slaves as we will come to see when we, when we move into the phase of da'wah, opening up. Initiative, active and proactive, self-motivated, target these people, they exacerbate your efforts. This is what we discussed yesterday. One thing I didn't say and should have said is that having or targeting these people who are active and proactive and have, having self-initiative, this is fun, this is good. But you know what's more fun? You know what's better? Growing the people within your sphere of influence to be those people. Your wife, your husband, your children. Nurturing them, nurturing them. So they become people who are also active, proactive. They people who have within them initiative. You don't have to tell them, move. Some people, subhanAllah, if you don't say move, they'll just be stuck. They wait for you, it's like you have to pull strings. Like Muppets. No initiative. Everything. They wait for direction. If you travel, your phone is not available, that task doesn't move. This is not correct. Be self-motivated. Nobody has to tell you, listen, yesterday we did it like this. The day before yesterday we did it like this. The day before yesterday we did it like this. Why today are you not doing it? You're waiting for your superior to tell you, let's do this, before you realize there's a pattern. Be a person who's, who has initiative. This is the Muslim way. This is what Islam does, right? This is what Islam does. And I told you the other day how we are the best and why we are the best, right? So what's even better is you nurturing self-initiative in your children. You nurturing self-initiative in your spouse, making them that. That's even more fun. That's even more fun. That, that, because why? You see, you, you witness your efforts and you see the fruits of your efforts. It makes it all the more worthwhile. And this is the Islamic narrative and the Islamic discourse. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us those people that inspire greatness in others. For this is a member of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We inspire greatness in others. We are inspired and we inspire greatness in others. We are ignited and we ignite the ummah one heart at a time. This is what the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam does. Yesterday, we asked each other to benchmark ourselves against some of the ideals that were cited. Let's benchmark ourselves against this ideal. How many of us are ignited? And how many of us are a means of igniting the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam one heart at a time? As was the way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Igniting people one heart at a time. Igniting Khadija radiallahu anha. She said the shahada. Igniting Abu Bakr radiallahu anha. He said the shahada. Igniting Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anha. He said the shahada. Igniting Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu anha. He said the shahada. Igniting the ummah one heart at a time. Benchmark yourself. Ask yourself. What will the world miss the day I die? Will I be missed? You got to ask yourself. I'm not saying we all need global ambitions. You, you can have local ambitions. You can have specific ambitions. Allah has created us differently. But know what you're supposed to be doing. Know which world you want to create. The world you want to see when you are on your deathbed. 
No matter how big your world is or how small it is, know it. Know it. Understand what the world will miss the day you pass away. Understand the value that you want to bring to this world. You have to. You're a member of the Ummah of Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You're not just anybody. You are somebody. You are not born to be seen. You are born to see. This is who we are, brothers and sisters. This is who we are. We have to ask ourselves these pertinent questions. Now, that way in secret, as I said yesterday, happened for how many years? Three years. Three whole years. Remember we said, we learn patience in da'wah as well. Many a time people say, I'm trying to invite my parents to Islam. It's not happening. I'm trying to invite my neighbor. I'm trying to invite my friend. One month, two months, we give up. Three years da'wah was done in secret. This was the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody knows anything. Speak to people within your sphere, those who think alike, those who will be supporters, those who will respect the need to keep this matter a secret. Da'wah was spread for three entire years. You've got to understand this, brothers and sisters. And this brings back the point we said yesterday, that Rome was not built in a day. Burn in or burn out. Rome was not built in a day. Who, who, who Googled that? Somebody? Some of us. Right? Listen to that talk. And we took many lessons, even our own application in da'wah, and our own application becoming pious. Even when memorizing the Qur'an. Slow but sure. Slowly but surely. Da'wah in secret happened for three years. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after that, with divine wisdom, commanded Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to make his da'wah open and apparent. No more going to one person, a specific person, that's it. To all of the Quraysh specifically and the entire globe generally. Allah commanded Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But as we said yesterday, it was a dual-pronged approach. Open da'wah had to start without him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam releasing the identity of those who accepted Islam in the first three years. Open the call, but don't make manifest. Don't make manifest those who are behind you. Don't make manifest the momentum you have created during the past three years. It's in your best interest. We have to look after that momentum. Management skills, wallahi. Management skills, I'm looking at the heads here. And they're nodding their heads. Wallahi, it's true. Sometimes, subhanallah, we just manage to get our team on track. And then we, we come with one colossal decision and we break them entirely. Overburden them. Sometimes, it's still, you still need to wait. You are patient for three years, gaining momentum. You have this need to expand. You have this need to explode. Make your efforts worldwide. Go full out with the marketing. Shock and awe, right? But you still have to be patient. Why? If I go full out, this momentum that I spent three years building is going to collapse. It's just like you knocking a door. Imagine yourself, imagine a door from the bottom of this ground to the, to, to, to the top of the ceiling. How massive is that door? And you're knocking it for three years, knocking, 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 knocking. And slowly but surely this door is opening, slowly but surely, slowly but surely, slowly. There's a little, there's a little gap now, now you can see light. After three years you can just see a light. Because the door's opened. And then, what do you do? 
you act in haste and the door shuts on you. Bang. That's three years effort down the drain. Sometimes this happens. We spend months building our team and then what happens? We act one decision in haste and team members are running away. We've lost the best people and we're back to square one. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the da'wah to, be, to become open firstly without revealing the names of those that came to Islam during the period of secrecy or da'wah in secret. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fasda' bima tu'mar wa a'rid anil mushrikeen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him to declare that which he was commanded to and turn away from the polytheists. No more tiptoeing around them. Time for tiptoeing has stopped. Which teaches us that even in this century, in our da'wah, in, 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 in terms of us nurturing the ummah, sometimes we have to tiptoe around people. Sometimes we have to. You just have to tiptoe. You have to manage people. It's not healthy. But you have to, what can you do? You have to tiptoe around them to avoid conflict. It's not healthy to have conflict in your organization. It's not healthy to have conflict in your da'wah. Imagine you do your da'wah in a way that's not conducive and you stop from doing da'wah altogether. What's better? Da'wah slowly but surely or no da'wah at all? We know the challenges we face today. We know. And brothers and sisters, as a footnote, some, I think yesterday I forgot to throw in a footnote. It shows how I was not well. May Allah shower upon us all cure. As a footnote, as a footnote, you and I both know how speaking da'wah is difficult today. You end up becoming a person highlighted. Even though you said nothing but good, but because it was da'wah, you have to be highlighted. But all is not lost. Because actions speak louder than words. Your da'wah can be through good character, good practice, good trade, good speech, smiling. Actions speak louder than words. Who was telling me the other day, something is faster than the speed of something? Who was that? Anyone in the audience here? You're not here, he's not here today? Was it the speed of... The speed of light is faster than the speed of sound? The speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. That's why people see before they hear. That's a good point. Tweet it. <laughs> the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. So people see before they hear. People see you before you speak to them, brothers and sisters. They see you. They see you with your beard and your thobe above your ankles and immediately they, they, they become apprehensive. Because of what? The world has told them, but then you offer them a glittery smile. What happens? Firstly, you got rewarded. It's a sadaqah. It's da'wah through smiling. And you removed, you, you cracked the false perception. But no, subhanallah. Today you want to see brothers, they have the beard, thobe above the, mashallah, above the ankles. And they're looking very serious, you know. Subhanallah, somebody. And now, general public, they're coming up with names, you know. Bid'ah busters. Haram police. 
And even this we don't agree with. When they tell me, I tell them this is wrong and disrespectful. But they tell me, what should we do? This is how we see the people. The people who we see as people who are, who are in it, and they want to create change. This is how they approach you in a scary way. They walk in the masjid, subhanallah, as if there's some big hammer behind their back, and you're going to get knocked for six runs. You Australians, you know what cricket is. Alhamdulillah. No. Da'wah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And we will see sallallahu alayhi wa sallam how he was. And, and how he was when he was being harmed, subhanallah. Not when the, when he was being harmed, we will come to see bidnillahi ta'ala. Right? So people see you before they hear you. Do da'wah in your actions. Look how Islam went to Indonesia. Through good trade. Through honesty. Through trustworthiness. This is how Islam got into Indonesia. But today, we're defaulting on payments. Our checks are bouncing. We're lining up for riba deals. We're flouting the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In action, in action. Then when somebody speaks and says this is wrong, then al Muslims say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's the Muslims who are lining up for riba loans. It's the Muslims who want their children to stay at school and play sports instead of attending the afternoon madrasa. It's the Muslims who are doing this. What are you talking about? It's the Muslims who don't want the niqab. This is what I've heard, brothers and sisters. From people who work in offices that deal with policy and policy making. That on one end there's Muslims who are actively, vocally trying to protect the sanctity of the niqab and the right for the Muslim to wait. But in, in action, we're hearing from these same officers that we're taking our grievances to that. But it's the Muslims who are saying that you don't need it. How many Muslims walk in here without the niqab? And they're not even knowledgeable of the deen, but those people who walk, without, walk in without the niqab, a person who doesn't know about Islam is going to ask, aren't you supposed to wear a niqab? What do they say? No, you don't have to. So a person who doesn't know about Islam has learned from a person who doesn't know about Islam something which is probably not the ideal. We're not having a discussion whether niqab is wajib or not. Yes, the arguments are strong on both sides. But no doubt all the scholars agree it's better. And that's a different discussion. Because when you go about and say you don't have to, you, you have taken away from the sanctity of the discussion. That is not a full discussion. So the Muslims in action are causing harm to Islam. Wallahu al-musta'an. Wallahu al-musta'an. How can we be the means of Islam's downfall when we are the ambassadors of Islam, brothers and sisters? We need to fix these things. Right? And that's why I said yesterday, invite to Allah, even if it's one thing, but you know it and you know that you know it. Don't wait for a scholar. You don't have to wait for a scholar. But make sure you know and you know it. If you know and you know that you know, invite to it. Right? This is how we have maximum potential in terms of da'wah on the ground. Where everybody understanding that they have a duty to Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we will be asked. وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةِ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ 
wa ulaika humul muflihun the scholars deduce from this ayah there's two opinions from the same ayah some scholars say we deduce from this ayah that da'wah is compulsory upon every head every muslim head meaning everybody and some deduce from it that it's farad kifaya or farad al kifai meaning it's a communal obligation if some people in the community do it it lifts the obligation of the other but all agree all agree again let's not go into the deep fiqh discussion all agree that it's better to do it even those who say it's a communal obligation it's better for everyone to do it why do we want to be upon that which is lesser than what is better why even if we just keep the discussion on a common let's be amicable right and let's talk common sense what's better to do the lesser or to do the better to do the better may allah grant us the understanding allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded his prophet to take the da'wah openly saying fasda' bima tu'maru wa a'rid 'anil mushrikeen right declare that which you have commanded to la ilaha illallah la ma'buda bihaqqin illallah this is the meaning of la ilaha illallah some people translate it as there is no god but god this is not a correct translation it's not an entirely correct translation the correct translation is there is no one worthy of worship besides one allah that's what la ma'buda bihaqqin illallah because the quraysh were attributing gods they were uh, making gods by day and making gods by night with different materials but we say there is no god worthy of worship besides one allah this is uluhiyah telling them that you only worship one la sharika lah no partners unto him subhanahu wa ta'ala so allah said take the message of tawhid and turn away from the polytheists no more tiptoeing the time for tiptoeing is stopped right relevance has been created in the way that it was intended credibility is there it's time to move on to phase 2 now take it openly how how wa anzir ashiratak al aqrabin allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is the beauty of the sharia this is a lesson fiqh sirah what's the lesson there's nothing in the sharia that is a command except that we taught how and we understand the wisdoms from it This is very important brothers and sisters in education especially you as parents 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 mashallah parents know how to command army generals parents are do this don't do that sit there stand up eat your food don't play in the sun wear your hat go to sleep <laughs> commanding parents can do sighatul amr wan nahi masters of it ha huh? the words of commanding and prohibition but how many times do we explain the command how many times do we nurture the child we're not talking we talk about nurturing them how many times do we explain the command how many times how many times do we teach them how concentrate how many times have we heard that but yeah i don't know how to concentrate even in your da'wah It's important to focus on the what. But after you get through with the what, there's something called the how. The other day I was telling you about the da'wah of nasiha. It's important da'wah, but it's not ideal. Da'wah of nasiha, 45 minute talk. Somebody comes to talk to you about khushu, what are they going to teach you? Teach you the same thing that's always being said. 
Because if you want to do it properly, you need about three hours. I was asked to do a, 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 a talk on khushu, and I said, I can't, I can't do it. I need a workshop, I need three hours. Why? Sheikh so-and-so does it in this time, Sheikh so-and-so does it in this time, say, Jazahumullahu khairan. They have created the platform for us now to discuss how. They have discussed what? But the issue is how. And the reason why we know that why the how is important is how many people know that they should have khushu in salah, but they still don't have khushu in salah. How many people? I'm trying to concentrate. How do I concentrate? I know I should concentrate. The what is clear. How do I concentrate? Right? There's physical means and metaphysical means. The metaphysical means we share. Have good wudu. Come to the masjid in an amicable manner, in a slow manner, in a cautious manner. Observe the salawat before the faridha and the salawat after. Utilize the time for dua and so on and so forth. But there's a physical element needed as well so that you can concentrate in your salah and aid your khushu. Which is knowing how to focus. How do, how do we focus? This goes to your brain. And the front part of the brain. A part known as the PFC. The prefrontal cortex. It's not the discussion today. But it needs to be discussed. Otherwise we will not give people substantial information on how to focus in salah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam take the da'wah openly, command. But Allah tells him how. Start with the closest sphere of influence to you and then work your, work your way outwards. Start with the closest ones. Charity begins at home. How? And the wisdoms behind it we understand. We're deducing them right now for each other. Right? Through pondering. That's why fiqh asira is a subject and a science. Deducing lessons from the seerah. And as I said, and I'll say it again, I've shared with you a drop. What's left out is much more. Allah told him how. So we learn the lesson. Whenever we instruct somebody, tell them how. And let me add to that, also tell them why. It's important. Don't blame the son. Because you see, my little boy, my little girl, you know they're saying there's a hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> right? There's UV rays, you know, it's, it's harmful. Wear your hat, why? So it's blocked, you block the sun from directly touching your skin. Tell them why. What's wrong? What's wrong? Don't drink coke. Tell them why. If you don't tell them why, you know what's going to happen? When the cat's away, the mice will play. Not that you all cats, as parents here. But meaning, when you're not there, they want to know why. They have an inquisitive mind. So they're going to experiment. That's what's going to happen. Mommy's not here, daddy's not here. Let me experiment. Let me sip a coke and see. Say, wow, it's so sweet. Why don't they want me to drink coke? Khalas. Every time they're not here, I'm going to have my dose. Why you did not educate them? Tell them why. Now, when we look at the different narrations, we see that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or different narrations show how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam answered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command. Fasda'. Some narrations say, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam announced and said, O Quraysh, ask from me money and any matter of this dunya that you wish, but understand that I cannot save you from the hellfire. 
Some narrations say that he said to different tribes, save yourself from the hellfire, whilst announcing the name of each tribe. Oh, bunny so-and-so. Oh, bunny so-and-so. Oh, bunny so-and-so. Save yourself from the hellfire. Save yourself from the hellfire. Save yourself from the hellfire. Calling out to those close. Stage by stage. Some narrations say like in Sahih al-Bukhari that Rasulullah ascended Mount Safa and it is said that when people had announcements they would go here. They would ascend the mountain and announce. And the scholars deduce from this the permissibility of culture as long as it doesn't contradict the Sharia. Rasulullah practiced what they used to practice. So he ascended the mountain. He had a message for them. This is what they used to do. So we learn from this that culture is acceptable as long as it does not contradict the Sharia. There's three principles, brothers and sisters, you must understand. These are important usuli, jurisprudic methodology principles. Al-aslu fi shari'ati al-umum. Wal-aslu fi shari'ati al-thubut. Wal-aslu fi shari'ati al-wuqoo'. From the outset, the laws of the Sharia apply to everybody. Nobody can say, no, my culture is exempt from the laws of the Sharia. No, 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 no. It applies to everybody. Even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, unless we have evidence that there's some command and it's specific to him. Like him being allowed to marry without the need of a wali. Because he's the Rasul, and Nabiyu awla bil mu'mineen. He has a greater precedence than the rest of the believers. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Bismillah. Al-aslu fi shari'ati al-umum. The next principle, al-aslu fi shari'ati al-thubut. From the outset, the laws of the Sharia are settled and established. They're not going to be abrogated. Nobody can say, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, that law was there, but now it's abrogated. So my cultural practice, I can do it now. Absolutely not. It's not abrogated, it's not, abrogated. It's not cancelled out, it's, it's still there. And the last one, al-asl fi shari'at al-wuqoo'. From the outset, the laws of Sharia are in effect. It's not that they, like yesterday, we said the cameras are ready and we're waiting to push the start button. It's not that the setting is there and we're just waiting for something to happen, uh, for the law to come into effect. From the outset, the law is active. If the situation comes about that this law deals with, then that situation has a law specific to it. Is that clear? Right? So nobody can exempt themselves from any law of the Sharia. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. With culture, our Sharia does not cancel out all of our culture. It only tells us to leave that which goes against what the Sharia says. Because remember, Islam is about you and I living in this world the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to live in this world. That is Islam. 
Submitting to the will of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Istislam. Not culture, not peer pressure, not public opinion. To the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ascended Safa. And it says he did this when Allah revealed and warned your closest people. He ascended Safa and he yelled out to the people, Oh Bani Fihr, Oh Bani Adi. Right? These were from the Ashiratak al Aqrabin, from that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him in the ayah wa andir Ashiratak al Aqrabin. He was addressing the various tribes of the Quraysh. And they assembled. This is what they would do. Somebody has an announcement, they assemble. Or they would get representatives of the tribes to assemble. And they inquired, what's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> what's up with what's up? <laughs> Basically, they came to inquire, what is the announcement? What is the announcement. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, suppose I told you that there was an army in the valley intending to attack you. An evil army. A well-equipped army. Your enemies. They intend to attack you. Would you believe me? They said, yes, of course we'll believe you. We have not found you telling anything other than the truth. Remember five years before when he saved bloodshed by coming up with the solution with the Hajar al-Aswad? He had relevance. Of course we listen to you. Listen to the brothers and sisters. Listen to human nature. Listen to human nature. Huh? How sincere people are. You know, when it suits you, we listen and we follow. It suits me. That, that works with me. When it, the test of how sincere a person's belief in you is. Or that the, the, the test of it happens when you say something that is not conducive to the ideology. Now we see the, the friendship is tested. The kinship is tested. Right? The friendship is tested. The friendship, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the kinship is tested. The relation is tested. This is where it's tested. He said to them, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I am a warner to you in the face of terrible doom and harm. This is what he said. So speaks Abu Lahab. And he says, may you be ruined all day. Is it for this purpose you've gathered us? For this purpose you've gathered us? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, may the hands of Abu Lahab be ruined. And ruined is he, his wealth will not avail him, or that which he gained. Right? This was revealed. And this, is, this hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, and I explained to you what Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim means. Tayyib, let's take the lessons. Da'wah is now open. How? To the closest sphere of influence and then work your way outwards. Right? It's open. What do we learn from this? Firstly, what do we learn? What is, what is screaming at us? 
What lesson is screaming at us when we study this narration in the Sahih and look at uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and what he did? That Tawheed comes before everything else. When you start this da'wah, you start with Tawheed. When you learn this da'wah, you start with Tawheed. If Tawheed stands, your other actions will stand. You need to be solid with La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. You have to know when certain practices of the communities that you are in is not conducive in terms of the Islamic narrative. Remember the touch wood. Remember the fingers crossed. People say it, they don't even know. Where is the Tawheed? Born Muslims. We need to discuss Tawheed. We need more khutbahs on Tawheed. We need more lessons on Tawheed. People think that they know, but they don't know, brothers and sisters. And yes, whenever you ask for public opinion, what talk should we have? What lesson should we have? What workshop should we have? Marriage workshop. Upbringing children workshop. Right? You should do a Tawheed workshop. Because you know what, brothers and sisters? A lot of times people don't know what they want. They don't. They don't know what they want until they see it. When they see this, they say, SubhanAllah, I needed this. This is what I wanted. A lot of times. And we are all guilty of this. Right? We're all guilty of this. We know this in different things, even in different tastes that we have. You know? Sometimes we don't know what we want. But somebody has to say, listen, this is what you want. Just trust me. This is what you want. When you see it, you say, SubhanAllah, yes, exactly. That was what I wanted. Right? So start with Tawheed. Secondly, charity begins at home. We learned this how many times in the seerah? This is established. If you want to call it established Muslim policy, let's call it that. Charity begins at home. We sort out the interior first. Before the exterior. And you know what? You'll be greater when you move on to the exterior because of the experience gained with the interior. And you know what? The interior forgives your mistakes far quicker than the exterior. Trust me, even students of knowledge, I tell my young brothers and sisters, don't rush. Don't rush. You don't have to start writing big articles and opening blogs. Wait. You write it, but don't publish it. Our Sheikh Salih bin Humayd, Hafidahullah, Imam of the Haram, he was telling us the importance of writing. He says, write everything and write it properly. Treat it as a thesis, as a research paper. Anything you're researching, don't just read it. Once you read it, write it. This is good advice. I say this to my brothers and sisters as well. Sheikh Abdul Karim Al-Khudair, Hafidahullah, another senior scholar in the Ummah today. What's his advice? Don't rush to publish. Don't rush to speak. Don't rush to speak. The ummah is not like the ummah of before. The ummah that was with Imam Malik. When you tell the ummah of Imam Malik, La adri, I don't know. Imam Malik, somebody came to him and asked him so many questions, he only answered a handful. And for the vast majority, he said, I don't know. I forget the exact numbers, or I've forgotten, so I will not attempt to mention the numbers so as not to take away from the narration. You know, they say if you add to something, you subtract from it. So we don't want to do that, right? We don't want to do that. But the story is, a group came from far. 
to ask Imam Malik tens of questions. He didn't even answer ten. He answered a few and for the rest he said, La Adri, I don't know. And people said, Imam Malik doesn't know. Imam Malik, Imam of the Ummah. He doesn't know. He said, yes. And walk into the marketplace and say, Imam Malik doesn't know. Did that take away anything from Imam Malik? No, it grew him. Today, try it. Try telling people, La Adri. Wallahi, they'll say, ah, that sheikh, he doesn't know. <laughs> That's what they'll say. <laughs> they don't understand. This is not the Ummah. This Ummah needs, there's a lot of nurturing that's needed. There's a lot of nurturing that's needed. Right? You open some of the greatest books that have been written. Books written by people who I call giants. Giants that you and I, as students of knowledge, we're trying to walk away on their shoulders. <laughs> you know what they write at this, in the beginning of their books? This is the work of a poor slave of Allah. Dhu taqseer. <laughs> full of mistakes, full of weaknesses. A person who lacks ilm. This is what he writes at the beginning of his book, right? And what did the scholars do when they opened this book? MashaAllah, they were even more ready to read it. Today, SubhanAllah, this guy is saying he doesn't know anything at the beginning of his book. Why should we read it? Ya Allah, put the book away. This is the state of the Ummah. Which is why I push the agenda. Nasiha talks are important, but just how much? How? How much? It's better for you to study the ilm that gives you the nasiha every day without a person coming to give it to you. The real ilm. The foundation. Not that the nasiha is not real ilm. But remember, there's one thing to pluck at the leaves of the tree, and there's one thing to work at its roots. What is more sustainable? To spray every leaf, or to kill the fungus from the bottom? Once you hit it from the bottom, all the leaves will be okay. Right or wrong? May Allah grant us the understanding. Right? The next lesson we learn. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with what? Fasda'. Fasda'. This, this verb is powerful. This command is powerful. It's, it's not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying propagate. No. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying propagate powerfully. Propagate with strong belief, without doubting yourself. Propagate putting your trust in Allah. Propagate knowing that this is the haqq. This is the meaning of fasda'. This is the meaning of fasda'. What do we learn from this? That we need to also be solid in our belief and in our da'wah, not being apologetic all the time. Today, subhanallah, we're becoming apologetic. We feel like we have to find every excuse for every misconception that a person who wants to find problems with Islam has. We have to butter it and twist it and... No! Speak it as it is. That's where the guidance is. If a person has a problem with what Rasulullah did or his marriage to Aisha radiallahu anha and so on and so forth, What's that got to do with us and now starting? Uh, we, we make ex- we're becoming so apologetic in, in our explanation as if we're saying, Subhanallah, Ya Rasulullah, why? Why did this happen? Now we have to defend you. No! <laughs> no, my dear brothers and sisters. You don't defend Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from a platform of weakness. You defend him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from a platform of honor and izzah. Wala tahinu. 
ولا تحزنوا وانتم الاعلون وانتم الاعلون do not do not be weakened and saddened you are on a greater platform he was your nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he never did it from himself he was acting from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what are you trying to be apologetic for did he do it yes he did it was it wrong no it wasn't it the person says it was that's your problem doesn't mean there was a problem with the nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam it's a problem with you and then explain it to them from a platform of strength remember the other day i said not everything can be answered immediately after being questioned there's certain questions that a non-muslim finding out about islam wants to ask that for us to answer properly we need to take them behind closed doors and sit with them for a couple of hours two three hours give them the necessary introduction understand where this came about from and how if they're going to ask you a question based on the 21st century and how immature females are and even males at the century and the way we brought up nobody who's brought up now at four years old as shepherds who who lives without air conditioning today just take that for example right it's a different you got to sit down and give people the necessary introduction that was a time and this is a time just like how prophets before lived for a thousand years 950 years hundreds of years ibrahim alayhi salam having ismail at 90 and ishaq at 100 according to some of the scholars of tafsir who does that today who does that today times change give the necessary introduction explain context when they are on the right context not on the 21st century context now you can answer the question and they can relate to it the problem is subhanallah we don't really ponder of how to get points across to people so you're sitting in a public forum they start asking you about the ruling of a person leaving islam what do you want to do now you become apologetic you start giving the wrong picture of islam instead of explaining it properly and for you to do it properly, you've got to say, no, we need to take this offline and we need to sit a few hours together. Because you're asking it based on a particular understanding, a particular civilization, a, a civilization's protocols, right? You need to understand it based on this reason and that reason and that reason. The Islamic penalty for stealing, for zina and so on and so forth. Add context to it before you answer the question because nine times out of ten if not ten if you do not add context you're going to waste your time he's going to waste his time and what you're going to do you might be in a public forum and you're going to confuse the people that's what's going to happen you're going to misrepresent islam you're going to misrepresent rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that's why allah says bil hikmati invite to the way of allah with wisdom know when to speak when to remain silent how to speak when to answer how to answer you will be rewarded for plotting and thinking and planning and sketching allah will reward you because it's ibadah you want to look after the sanctity of, of the sharia the sanctity of islam today subhanallah it's all a big mess why because everybody's talking about islamic things how they want when they want and the media chooses what they want to push out and we'll come to that inshallah. So we learn from first 
that the, do this da'wah not from a platform of weakness. Do it from a platform of strength. We also learn, brothers and sisters, what we discussed earlier, and that is it's the sunnah of Allah, a universal law, that anyone who intends da'wah, they will have enemies. Rasulullah spoke just a few words, and Abu Lahab, what did he say to him? Cursed him and insulted him. Immediately opposition starts. People close to him. Abu Lahab wasn't some nobody. And Rasulullah was not a nobody to him either. But look how powerful his words were. Words that demanded revelation. Because that's how wrong he was. But look at the opposition that starts. Again I said, this is where we test the reality of our relationship. Not when we always agree. Relationships are understood when we disagree. Remember I said the other day, it doesn't mean if the minds differ that the hearts should differ. Remember that? This is where we test relationship. We test character. This is where we do it. Subhanallah, you know what? I love you for the sake of Allah. We're not compatible. I respect you. I don't agree with this view, but I respect you. That is where we judge the strength of relationships. That is where we judge it. Look at this. What was the relationship? Blood and bond and so on and so forth. But look. Look at the statement. Revelation came down because of it. Right? We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, from this incident, da'wah becoming open and Rasulullah going on safa, that this message is not from Muhammad It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not some tribal message. It's not from his father. It's not from his grandfather. It's not from his uncle. His own people are fighting him, starting with Abu Lahab. <laughs> if it was from his tribe, from the ways of the Quraysh, would, would that statement be needed? No. The fact that he received operation from the first da'wah shows us this message is not a Qurayshi message. It's not, it's not a quote-unquote Middle Eastern message. It's a divine message from Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, we learn this. Now, let's look at what happened after. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam makes this announcement. You know what the Quraysh did? They turned a blind eye. They thought, you know what? Makkah is known for people coming and announcing things. He's made his announcement. It will die out. It's a bubble. You know, it's a bubble that will pop. Right? They thought it will fizzle out. But indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command is above everything. The message remained. And not only remained, started spreading. Started spreading. Children were accepting the message. So now in one home you had a father upon one deen and a child upon another deen. Right? The slave boys were accepting it. Certain adults were accepting it. It wasn't fizzling out. And what do we learn from this, brothers and sisters? That we should not turn a blind eye. When misguidance creeps, nip it in the bud. Don't allow it to spread. Learn this. I know this is a, we, we're twisting it a bit because obviously the Quraysh let it run. 
and it was supposed to run. Right? But we want to take the lesson. They turned a blind eye. It was good for us that they turned a blind eye. <laughs> but what we're saying is, let's just take the lesson about the evils of turning a blind eye sometimes. Right? Sometimes you switch on the computer, you see your child. Mm. They did something they shouldn't do. What do you do? You turn a blind eye. It's a one-off. Sometimes somebody comes to you. You know your child. Are you sure he went there? I'm pretty sure I saw your car there. You turn a blind eye. Naive parents. This is what I call it. Naive parent. The parent who says, I can't check up on my child. That shows I don't trust my child. That's a sign I'm not a good parent. A'udhu billah. A'udhu billah. I say just the opposite. You checking up on your child is a sign that you trust your child. You checking up on your child is a sign that you're a good parent. Because you checking up on your child is a sign that you do not trust shaitan. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> People, you know, sometimes we just don't think properly. We say common sense is not so common. Right? What is poor is for you to trust shaitan. How can you trust shaitan? You think shaitan doesn't speak to your child? You think he didn't speak to you? It's your job to guide. Like Yaqub guided his child, said, don't tell this dream to your brothers. Nip it in the bud. For they will plot against you. Not because they're bad people, but because shaitan will make them. He taught him about shaitan. We discussed this in one of the earlier episodes. In your team, fitna is starting. In the workplace, in the organization. Nip it in the bud. Deal with it. Don't just let things run by and let it, you know, as I'm talking about if you're a leader. You got to deal with it. It's your duty to keep the ship steady. There's a little crack in the boat. What do you, you leave it? No, you seal it because it's only going to get bigger. So we learn the importance of nipping things in the bud. Don't ever let situations prevail and make them, and, and then they become bigger and bigger and bigger and then it becomes a catastrophe for you to handle. It needs more money, needs more resources to fix it. Remember the other day what we said? We said you measure twice and you cut once. Remember that? Right? This is due diligence. Due diligence also is in making sure that my firewall is sealed. Shaitan can't come through it. I've got a sealed firewall. My antivirus is up to date. Right? Right? My firewall is up to date. May Allah grant us the understanding. Ameen. Ameen. Now, when the Quraysh saw that, subhanallah, we turned a blind eye, big mistake, message is spreading, what did they do? They used a multi-pronged approach. And this is what we're going to start today and finish off, inshallah, tomorrow as we move on. Remember I said that I have resigned towards making the Meccan period in two parts rather than one part. Let's spend time chatting to each other, alhamdulillah, because we're learning, inshallah, right? Quality is better than quantity. They used a multi-pronged approach. They said, we got to deal with this. All right, how do we deal with it? They said, you know what? The person who brought him up was Abu Talib. Let's go to him. Let's pressure him. Let's squeeze him. If anyone can do it, Abu Talib can. That was the first approach. So, what happened? They went to Abu Talib. And they pressured him. That look, you're not upon his way. But he's insulting you. He's insulting your way. He's insulting what our grandfathers were upon. Are you going to allow this? Are you going to support this? 
But look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nurtured the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by causing Abu Talib to have seen Bahira the monk before who told him who this man was or who this boy will become. Right? Right? And nurtured the relationship by inspiring Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to take Ali radiallahu anhu and bring him up in his house with Khadija radiallahu anha. Hal jazaul ihsani illa al-ihsan? Is there any reward for good except good? Abu Talib brought me up. Let me help him with one of his children. He's not well to do. I have some capacity now. Right? Look how Allah inspired and nurtured Muhammad this relationship. Wallahi Abu, Ta- Abu Talib was one of the greatest supporters of this da'wah. Subhanallah. It is Allah's wisdom that he didn't die as a Muslim. That's why the year of sorrow is called the year of sorrow because it wasn't because Khadija radiallahu anha died only because also Abu Talib passed away in that year. A great supporter. Abu Talib resisted all pressure. All pressure. You know what we learned from this? Be principled. Be principled. If you know something is right and your people come to you and push you and push you and push you to do something wrong, be principled. Wallahi, you could be the one man that Allah will open great goodness upon you. You'll be the one man Allah will open great goodness upon you. About the one person in the committee who was resisting. When I read this part, I thought about it. I thought about the story. Now, you need to be a principled person. Today we lack people of principle, brothers and sisters. Everybody wants to sit on the fence. They want to make the right people happy and the wrong people happy. When I say the wrong people, I mean the people who are wrong in principle. You want to make these people happy and you want to make these people happy. You want to sit on the fence. And you know what? It's not good. Wallahi, it's hard work to sit on the fence. Firstly, the fence is not comfortable to sit on, right? <laughs> it's not a very comfortable seat. It's hard work. Because you have to sin to sit on the fence. You have to be lying somewhere to keep these people happy with you and these people happy with you. It has to be. How do you keep both parties happy with you? Because you're telling these people what they want to hear and you're telling these people what they want to hear. You know what this is? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. May Allah protect us. Sitting on the fence. Sitting on the fence. This is wrong. Somebody does something wrong. Say, brother, I love you for the sake of Allah. You're my brother. We go back. You know, we brothers. You know, you know how they say it? But you know what? This is wrong. You know, this is wrong. And this person who I don't know, he's right. Even though you're my friend, but he's right. You know, the people who want to sit on the fence, you know why they do so? They want everyone to love them. You know the way to get the love of the people? is to gain the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when Allah loves you, He calls to Jibreel. And He tells Jibreel, that Jibreel, I love this person, love him. And Jibreel descends the heavens. And all the angels ask Jibreel, what did Allah tell you? He says, Allah said, He loved this person and He commanded me to love him, so I've loved him. And all the angels want to get involved, so they also love him. So what happens? The skies love you. And what happens in the sky is overwhelming. It falls down to earth. So the love settles in the hearts of the people for you eventually. It might take longer, but it will last forever. 
You sit on the fence, people might love you today, but it won't last. You can only keep up appearances for so long. Remember this always, my dear brothers and sisters. Keeping up appearances is hard work. I've always said it. In a Dhuhr reminder, in a Fajr reminder, I'm saying it here again. Keeping up appearances is hard work. You will get temporary love of the people, but soon you will be exposed and you will be the most hated person. May Allah protect us all. Right? So, be principled. Now, we also learn from how Abu Talib supported Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam how we are allowed to or how non-Muslims can support this da'wah and can support Islam and can stand up for what's right. Did Abu Talib not do this? Of course he did. Of course he did. And in, and in reality today, non-Muslims do. Even in Gaza, just the other day in the news, what were they saying? There was clashes in Israel between Jews who do not support what's happening and Jews who support it. Subhanallah. Right? That's why, again, this reconsolidates our, the messages throughout. Be just when you speak. Don't go on social media. These Jews, these Christians, so and so. Would you like it? They say these Muslims. That's what they're doing now. And we say this is not fair. You're trying to judge us about uh, the action of a few people, the wrong that they do. You're painting the entire ummah. Are we happy? We're not happy. Why do we do the same back? And then subhanallah, it gets worse. The speech that we use, wal-iyadu billah. How? How? Why do you want to be with people upon their values? Is the values of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam not enough for you? If you lose your values, who are you? We've said this before. You should maintain yourself. And we'll see how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam maintained himself. Right? So we should be just and we, we should acknowledge goodness. Perpetrators, who are the perpetrators, they should be mentioned. But the innocent should not be included. This is from being just. This is the way of Allah. And this was his teaching to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. We also learn, brothers and sisters, that religion is based on evidence and fact and not emotion. Not emotion. We learn this. Evidence and fact. Yes, I have emotion. Is What he's saying about my, my forefathers. Isn't that emotional? It is. But you know what? I was told by wise people that this person is going to be a prophet. I have fact. I'm going to support him. We learn this from Abu, Abu Talib. You think it's not emotional that the way of Abdul Muttalib is being, is, is, is being quote-unquote disrespected as they said? Of course he's feeling it. He's a human being. It's the way he died upon the way of Abdul Muttalib. That's how sensitive he was to that way and soft he was to that way. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is begging him, give me something. Say the kalima so I can, I can, I can, I can, uh, you know, look after your case in front of Allah on the day of Qiyamah. And the people around him said, are you going to leave the way of your, grand, of your father and grandfather? He was sensitive to it, emotional to it. But fact is fact. And fact takes precedence over emotion. Understand this, brothers and sisters. There's too much emotion in the ummah today. Too much emotion. Nobody's studying what Rasulullah taught us. How to deal with what's happening in Gaza. How to deal with what's happening in Iraq and so on and so forth. Too much emotion. People are just speaking anything out of emotion. Creating misguidance. Wallahu al-musta'an. Wallahu al-musta'an. Propagation based on emotion is ignorance. Hadari, hadari. 
I warn you against it. And I warn you against those who speak from emotion. Yes, be emotional. But, give it a haircut. Right? Give it a haircut. Cut your emotion. Cut it. Tweak it. Make sure it's conducive to, to fact and evidence. To guidance. تَرَكْتُ فِيكُمْ مَا إِن تَمَسَّكْتُمْ بِهِ لَن تَظِلُّ بَعْدِ أَبَدًا كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّتِي This is what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said. He said, I've left with you two things. If you hold steadfast to them both, you will never go astray. The Qur'an and the Sunnah. The Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Personal emotion? No. Public opinion? No. Peer pressure? No. The Qur'an and the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's why in the Jum'ah khutbah, I said to you all, this is the time, this is the time when you go to a God-fearing scholar and you say, can you teach us what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us about fitna? Teach us about it. We need to be educated. We need to know. Because at the moment, everybody's talking to us. And we cannot see light from day. This is where you go and become educated. Education lifts the fog. The correct education. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Brothers and sisters, our time has suddenly come to an end. Inshallah, tomorrow when we come back, we will discuss the next approach of the Quraysh. What was the first approach? They turned a blind eye. Secondly, when they saw it, it was spreading, they came with a multiple, with a, with, with, with a multi-plan, right? With a plan that had many facets. What was the first of those, of, of, what was the first element of that plan? To go to Abu Talib. Uh, uh, Abu Talib. Did, that, did they win or fail? Failed. Man of principle. Okay. Tomorrow when we come back, inshallah, we will discuss the next approach. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us and make our sitting, our search for Laylatul Qadr. Today is the 25th night, correct? Another odd night. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us. May Allah grant us all the goodness that this night has. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from all harm. Once again, I love you all for the sake of Allah. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaytan. And I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Hada wallahu a'lam. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته